<laughs> Hello, everyone. This is W. Welcome to the very first surprise cast. I am so excited to launch this new endeavor. What a great way to start with my good friend, Ricardo Fiel. You may know him as Moon Cowboy. Let's bring him in for this lovely conversation. Ricardo, how are you doing? I'm good, sir. Plenty of Lisbon. It is really nice to see you all the way in Portugal. Yeah. A place that I have not been to. I've been close by, but this is our third or fourth conversation. And I just want to say thank you so much for being part of this experience. It's been great following your work since I've gotten to know you and kind of the evolution and the development of your sound. And I know we're going to talk about a brand new single called Beehive today. I want to ask you this question. I learned that fiel means loyalty, faithful. Can you tell me how that description of you truly applies to you as a person? <laughs> Starting off with a, with a hard question. Thanks, William. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, you'd have to ask those around me, but, but I think so. I mean, overall, as a person, I think over the years, it proves that I can be trustworthy. I'm loyal. Whatever I say, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't mind conflict. So if, you know, if I don't agree with something, I just say it. So I hope to leave to that name, actually. It's a family name, comes from a long time ago. So I think so, yeah. Tell me about yourself. Who are you? <laughs> well, I'm 45, dad of three, with my partner, Rita. And they're in different, my kids are in different stages, like 12, 6, 2 years old. So it's all kinds of challenges with each one of them. But they're lovely. I'm just a normal guy, to be honest. I grew up in a very small village in the center of Portugal, in the middle of the, the hills. Did the normal school stuff. Started in bands around 14. Started failing at school at around 14. Loads and loads of gigs. And then I went to study IT. So my day job is at Microsoft these days. So there's a whole AI thing going on, but I'm not going into that at the moment. Uh, but around 14, I discovered all these bands and I wanted to play guitar and it changed my life completely. And the way I see music is the way I see life actually. And, and it had a tremendous impact in every single area of my life, even in education. But for good and bad, I mean, I went, when, when I got into university, I went there once to sign the papers. And the second time I went there was a few months later to play on the students' party with the band I had. <laughs> so that didn't go so well for a few, few years. Um, Your childhood experiences, can you tell me an impactful experience, good or bad? 
that still lingers in your mind? I'll tell you a good and a bad one because they both linger. I remember one of my earliest memories is being with my grandparents. And my grandma had this, this clothing store in the local village. And I would love to go to behind the balcony and just help on you know, doing wrapping gifts and, and helping people and things like that. And in exactly the same place, but outside that, that store, I remember trying to ride a bike and it was a very steep downhill <laughs> and going for a long time with my nose just grinding the floor <laughs> as we went. <laughs> so those are two early childhood. I, should, I must have been around five at the time, six at most. And for some reason, it's like two of the earliest memories I have. One very good, one was probably not so good, but I don't remember the pain anymore of falling down that far. I remember it was a long way. <laughs> and can you describe the relationship you had with your parents while growing up? So, and by, I mean, I'm going to talk about my parents and my grandparents because I was raised between the ages of two and seven, I was, I was living with my grandparents. So before two, I can't remember, but it, it was a very small village. They were, let me start with my grandparents. They were hardworking. They started you know, poor. They went into the United States. So I have some family there yet. And then they came back and set up a store and my, my granddad car store so clothing store and car store and things started to go well and and that's a very strong memory because i would love to you know go inside the cars and and try it out not, not actually driving but trying out the stereo see how it worked and stuff like that and that very small village so everyone knew each other and i was there until seven and I used to run away from preschool, actually, oh. which kind of tells you the security measures around the preschool, right? <laughs> Back in the day. And then at seven, I went with my parents to a close by city called Lydia, which is actually where I was born. And I stayed there until like 18. So all of the teenage years craziness, bands, music, all of that was living with my parents in, in a place called Lady which was really good. I mean, my parents, they never forbid me like, of, of doing stuff. I think there was a moment when you know I started dressing all black and, and the head just covering the eyes and Loads of posters around the wall saying stuff like taking drugs to make music to take drugs too by the Spaceman 3. They may have been concerned around that time. But overall, it's my kind of, it's my way of seeing parenting. So autonomy up to a point, mm -hmm. but, you know, not forbidding stuff. Well, some of, some of the, you know, Dangerous, yes, but not you know, being super controlled. 
control it. What do you say? Yep. Control. Controlling. Yeah. But allowing for experimentation and stuff. So I would, you know, I had a lot of freedom at at, at the time. Between between seven and eighteen, but they were not really into like traveling abroad and stuff. So I didn't do much of that. I do way more of that now. It was all you know, mostly around Portugal. We had a very small boat, but we used to have fun just going to the rivers and the sea and fishing stuff like that. A lot of cod. No, well, no cod. You gotta go. Into you know you gotta go further away from the from the coast, but a lot of sea bass. Yeah. With your early beginnings of understanding music and the role that it played in your life, I want you to tell me when do you when did you start to feel music shape you, and why? Music was always around, so we had this record player. And my, my parents' record collection is very good. Okay, very, very good. I, I basically stole all their records. So I remember being seven as we moved to Lydia and, and starting to put the vinyl player on. And there will be things like, you know, Sly and the Fabulous Stone, Bruce Springsteen, uh, New Order, stuff like that, Beatles. So definitely from early on, it, it resonated a lot with me, and I started playing keyboards at school. So whenever there was a, like a school assignment where you have to build something, I would build like a guitar, a wooden guitar, but with actual strings and stuff. That was one of my school projects, elementary school. So I was always into music. And then around, I should have been around 10, maybe, my cousin Tanya, she showed me a band called uh, Transvision Vamp. And for some reason, I loved it. And then from there, I saw an interview with Wendy James, and she mentioned the Jesus and Mary Chain and The Cure. I went and got the records. And from there is history. Once you go into that route, you start discovering all sorts of, uh, of bands. And I used to play keyboards. And I was I was going to buy a new keyboard at some point. I was 14. I heard rides nowhere. I have this on a blog post. One minute into the song, I just took my headphones and I said, forget the keyboard. I want an electric guitar. <laughs> and experience all this new music and you kind of being a sponge for music. When did you feel like you were in your first professional band? A band that you thought, okay, this could go somewhere. You know, I would say my first one, but because back in Lydia, and I told I told Pete it came this the other day. We had just in front of my window. So the building in front had spaceman tree painted on the walls, like really big. So there was a, a very strong music scene. And it was very good because, you know, indie pop stuff would rehearse on the same spots as hardcore punk bands. And everyone would help each other. There was a very strong musical scene going on. So every band you were part of, because usually you were part of more than one, you thought, oh, you know, we got a gig somewhere. Yeah, this is the one. We're going to go big. 
But but looking back, I mean, the the first time I thought, hmm, we're onto something, was with a band called Phase. I formed Phase. I was maybe sixteen, seventeen, maybe, and then we went into Universal. We signed to Universal, did the record, went to spend an astonishing amount of money, like a hundred thousand euros these days, in. Brighton and London. We worked with Darren Allison, who did Loveless, did Ladies and Gentlemen. We we got Rachel Goswell to sing on a track. We, I mean, we met so many people. And then you, as a twenty-year-old living the dream, you're like, we're going to be superstars. And Universal was like, you're going to be the next you too. So spend as much money as you want. Fine, which we did. <laughs> so that was the first one. I think Universal was not happy when when they they saw the results. Right. Okay, so you you've received gobs and gobs of money. Yeah. You're meeting all these people, musicians, artists along the way. Looking back at that experience, how did that help you and who you are today? <laughs> Love that question. So I studied computer science, right? Engineering. I hate detail, which is kind of a red flag if you're going to study engineering. I don't like math that much. So what I like about engineering is you're going to learn how to build stuff. Right? And by the way, I did. So I did the. I did university. I was part of a research center we had, a very, very good one. And a couple of years later, I got, I got a letter which said, hey, congrats, you were the best student of your class. There's going to be an award ceremony. I'm like, you got, it's got to be a mistake, right? But apparently I was, and they invited me to speak there. And the things I learned in music, and Remember when I said my parents were like autonomy? They never said, stop what you're doing, you gotta go to university, right? The things I learned, you know, meeting childhood heroes, as we were in Brighton, I remember I always always think bigger than maybe what's expected. And I remember as we were doing the records, we said, hey, we could really use female voice around the song and they, they started discussing who are we going to bring from portugal and i said portugal we're in the uk <laughs> we're going to aim for the stars right <laughs> darren how well do you know rachel goswell right can we get to her and it happened and it happened on my birthday actually and that mindset of anything is possible that's what i bring to to the rest of of, of my life, and I try to, to teach my kids that. I'm not concerned if they go to university or not. I'm concerned that they find something which they really love doing and go out and do it. And these days, you know, I'm, I work for well, now the second biggest company in the world. I speak a lot publicly, and when I do a session, I'm not the, the typical, hey, here's a PowerPoint, let's go. You know, it's, it's like rock and roll, but it's technology. 
which in some cases can be kind of a, there's the red line I need to look so I don't cross it. But that's what I learned with music. You know, anything is possible. And, and for the benefit of, of, of others, of the greater thing than yourself. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's something I've always admired about your style and approach to life and music. I like how you're willing to bend kind of the rules and step outside your comfort zone when experimenting with sounds. I also appreciate this coming up in the way that you promote your work. And so I can see why and how this applies to your profession. Absolutely. So after phase and after all the fun time that you had, can you tell me when did when was the first seed that was planted for Moon Cowboy? So long, long time ago actually. Fave didn't last much. We 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 played like crazy. We launched the records and then the person in Universal was running the show and said we're gonna be the next two, he was fired. So there was no one who actually, you know, who actually liked us there. And they heard the demos for the second record, which we recorded as Darren was mixing the first one. We went into a small studio just next door and did the demos for the second one, which was quite abstract. They heard the demos and said, no way. And we're like, we're good if you let us go. And it went just downhill from there. And so I, I decided to focus a bit more on the, on the research center in university. And then I started playing with a guy called David Fonseca, which was like a Portuguese superstar. He was number one for, for several years. I played 11 years with them, with him. So I must have done like 200 something gigs all across Portugal and Spain and other countries. And I was doing my second record with him. And I had all of the, the gear at home, you know, amps, guitars, pedals. And I just I remember plugging in, I cannot recall which software I was using at the time, but I just plugged in to whatever and I started playing. And it sounded a bit like Brian Eno, but just with guitars. I'm like Huh. I wanted to do a solo record. And this was back in 2005, maybe. Now, fast forward to 2021, that original idea, which I recorded, ended up being the song Meditation. So definitely, that was the first time I, saw, I said, yeah, I want to go solo. It's going to be ambient with a beat of guitars instrumental and then as the years passed by uh, i started recording you know a bit more and adding more guitars <laughs> and then as you add a lot of guitars oh you know this is sounding a bit strange to the instrumental let me try and sing a bit now that i now that i have a song how do you mix this thing and then how do you master it so it took a long time but eventually at some point i said I'm going to release this on this date. And if it's a record, if it's a record, if it's an EP, it's an EP. If it's one song, it's one song. And I did, I did the whole EP by January 2021. 
your inspirations mix that hmm. I've been listening to. <laughs> so many influential bands for you and many others in the genre of dream pop and shoegaze. Hmm. I want to know for you, Ricardo, when you hear shoegaze and dream pop, how does it make you feel while you're creating your own music? Not just listening to other people's music, but how does it make you feel while you're creating? Can you describe that feeling? Yeah, I guess we have to go back to when I was 14 and listened to Nowhere. It felt like a guitar was the most powerful thing you could have in the world. And I remember when I started playing, it was not about learning to play. I still don't play guitar very well. It's about sound. And the thing I most love about what, what we call Shoe Guys Dream Pop is the textures of sound and how everything kind of blends together. And nothing takes the lead stage, if we think about it. People say, oh, you know, it's loud guitars and, and soft vocals. Well, that's arguable, right? It's, it's very balanced. So you don't have like a lead vocal. You have a vocal as an instrument, but it's very balanced. If you want to see loud guitars, you're going to see Mogwai live. That's loud guitars. Insanely good, but it's a different thing. And there's, there's amazing songs in, in Shoe Guys, which can be just as amazing if you play them on an acoustic, because the songwriting is just so good, or a piano. But the way everything blends into one, sound-wise, kind of gives me the shivers. You know? So when, when I listen to someone like Cocteau Twins and a song like Treasure Hiding, for me, that's Shoe Guys, whatever. You want to call it like that everything is there i still get the shivers when i hear that song and that's something when i first discovered about your music that goosebump feeling that you get in the experience while listening that's something i feel that really comes across in your sound in those aural textures that you provide for the listener I feel as though, Ricardo, what you do is you take all these inspirations and then you engineer it and you can compose it in your own style, your own voice, and then you give it back to the world. It's kind of a, like a saying a thank you to all these other artists. Would you say that's fair? That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. And I don't mind taking inspirations from others <laughs> and acknowledging. I do try to make it a bit my own. I'm not very concerned with saying, oh, this is not sounding shoe guys. Well, if it's not sounding shoe guys, maybe it's a new roadboard experimenting, right? Actually, on the songs that I'm working on, there's really strange things going on. But I mean, eventually, it's, it's not about being a shoe guys uh, project. It's about, as you said, taking all those influences. And I have, you know, Things like alt country have a massive influence in me, ambient as well. So I think those also sometimes pop up. I do tend to go a bit more on the softer, melodic 
kind of light to shoot guys. Not the My Bloody Valentine noisy one. At least that's how I see it. But yeah, anything's possible from now on, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, look at the future. I learned that Nick Cave is very disciplined in his work. He'll mm. get up early in the morning. And he'll go to his office and he'll just work all day. So tell us about your style, your craft, your approach to making music. Yeah, so it's the complete opposite. I really admire Nick Cave. And he's, he's very, just as, as you mentioned, Nick, we met him as we were arriving from Lourdes one day in the airport. He's super cool. He was a very, very, very cool person to hear him. And Warren Ellis as well was there. But, but I think Nick, I love Nick's approach. The thing with, with the way I write songs, I can't given my, so I have a day job. I have three kids and I can't make music or, or at least record music when they're at home, unless they're going to be on the record. Right. So I have to fit this. All, all of it in to this daily schedule. So the way I do it is it's, it's a bit chaotic, to be honest, but there's, there's like an idea that pops up and it can be just driving, can be just walking, can be me just fiddling around with a guitar and then suddenly, oh, here's something. And I'll, I'll just capture it on, on audio as soon as possible or else I'm going to forget it. And then. I have bits and pieces of 30 minutes to an hour to an hour and a half work on ideas. So it, it's, it's very iterative and it's blocks that, that I start putting together. So if I go on, if I go on my, my folder where, where the current work is being done, it's like song one version 14. Cause every time I open it, it's like, I'm going to try something. So I do a copy. <laughs> then I start working on top of that. And it gets to a point where I say, now I know where I want to go. Okay, because I may have a song lying around for a couple of months on this process until I understand where I want the song to go. Once I figure that out, it's actually pretty quick. So on on the technical part, like like recording, it's all set up. I just play and that's it. Mixing is a different story. But it's a very chaotic process at the moment. From time to time, I just rent a rehearsal room, a small studio nearby for a couple of days and just go in and work on stuff if I need to really focus. So in our last conversation, you were here to talk about Go Baby Go Mm -hmm. and that EP. And now you have a brand new single called Beehive. Yeah. How did you push the needle on the on that approach going forward? What were you aiming for for yeah. Beehive? Beehive has been around for a while, been a different version. But I played live a year and a half ago. I did my first solo gig and Beehive with the opener. Well just it just didn't sound the way it sounds these days. A bit more raw. But I always had that idea of, I want an instrumental, which kind of brings that early ride feel 
and takes it into some of the electronic things like M83, Death in Vegas, stuff like that. And I was chatting with the with a friend of mine, and he mentioned really, really good plugins of Valhalla, I think, which are like for Brian Eno stuff on keyboards. Now take that and put that into a guitar and go a bit extreme with the settings, and you get the opening of Beehive. That's a guitar. That's not seen. And once I learned that, hey, this is sounding quite massive. And started playing with synths on the phone. I was like, hmm, now I'm getting something to something. And then I, I was learning how to properly mix along the, the way. So Go Baby Go and Hope was very trial and error. I mean, Hope was recorded in GarageBand. Now it's a better setup, but still not super professional, right? It's, it's a small room where I record everything. But I was learning some mixing techniques. That was all about Beehive. Let's experiment on mixing techniques. So electronic synths, plugins, there was a ton of them. And then I saw M83 Live, which I had seen before, but the last time I saw them in September, they were really good. And, and I said, oh, yeah, I need to go back to that song and finish it. This is exactly what I want. So after Beehive, what's coming down the line for Moon Cowboy? Are you going to do another EP release? Are you going to go full-blown album? <laughs> well, there's, there's, we're discussing, and I say we because there's an announcement, and you're the first person to know it, actually. Oh. So I, I've, I'm now part of 1991 recordings because I just love them. And I used to say I don't want labels since I have the universal experience which wasn't so good but they reached out and i love their bands i love what they're doing i immediately said yes let's do it so plan is there's an ep down the line i don't there's date is not set in estonia but there's an ep down the line yeah for those who are familiar with 1991 can you tell us some artists on that label yeah. it's a relatively new actually quite new label in the UK, Shoegaze, hence the name 1991. They have 93 million miles from the sun. They have Last Tourist, and they have Sunshine's Cold. So all bands that I absolutely love. And when I saw, when I saw their message, like, hey, do you want to talk about releasing on our record or label? It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's fantastic that is fantastic i'm very happy for you and i'm sure john is super excited to have you on board yeah. along with the other artists so congratulations and yeah uh, will you be doing any touring for any moon cowboy work in 2024 yeah i'll be playing live for sure i don't know if we can call it touring when I haven't played live in a while, and to be honest, I don't even have an agency. Now, the good thing is I've, I've, I know a lot of people in this, you know, in music, so it should be relatively easy to find an agency that, I, that wants to work with me, get some gigs in, in Portugal and Europe. Now with 1991, that's an extra push for me to do that. 
So I love when things just happen naturally, and it happened naturally, right? So now it's a natural step to go and chase some gigs. And the agency, it's not because I, you know, it's like, oh, you got to have an agency or else you're not going to play live. But I remember on the on the first gig I did, there was a kind of a traumatic experience where I had this, you know, I had the hub having a blunt moment. The technical writer, I got help from professionals to do it, and people I worked in in the past, and said, it's fine, simple. And it's just me playing, you know, with, with guitars, two amps, and the rest is pre-recorded. So that's how it is at the moment. Billy was voted the loudest band of the night, which was good. <laughs> but I want to do some visuals as well now, so things are going to be simple, but more a full-on show. There was one thing that was like, I need an agency because I used to have a really good road manager. She was, I mean, she was, everyone respected, respected her. And there was a, there was a microphone on the stage with no stands. I said, Hey, can, can you get me a stand, please? And the guy goes, Oh, it's not on the rider. I'm like, yes, it is. It's here. And he goes, I don't read English. And the rider's in English, right? <laughs> Luckily, there was a friend of mine who is very well known in the field, and he just told him, grab the thing. But I thought at that moment, I cannot do this without an agency. I'm not going to put up with this. So, yeah, got to go chase that. But definitely playing live, it's it's happening. Life as a musician, as a father, full-time employee, I imagine it's got to be hard on you mentally. And I want to transition into something a little bit more serious, but I know is very important to you because we discussed this in our last talk for the Go Baby Go EP, mental health concerns, issues. Why is this important to you? Hmm. Thanks for mentioning this. I don't think we talk about this enough. In the sense that if someone is going through some mental health stuff, whatever it is, there's at least from what I see, there's still a lot of stigma around is it safe for me to speak up and say, hey, I need, I need, you know, I'm going through something. Maybe I don't know what it is, but definitely I'm going through something. I need help, whatever help means. And the numbers just keep getting worse, actually, especially around teenagers, which is frankly quite disturbing. I openly share that I've experienced a few panic attacks in, in my life, nothing super serious, but they interfered with my daily life. I actually had a burnout last September. So I was, I was off work for a month and a half. And I really needed to stop. And it was not just because of work, because people then go, oh, you had a burnout because you're working too much. Well, not necessarily. You have a burnout because it can be a thousand things. It can be work plus nutrition, plus lack of sleep, plus you know daily life, plus whatever, whatever, whatever. So we're being, you know, we have, all this 
things around us, like life, you know, work, kids, spouses, family, things going on, plus social media, which is a good thing and a dangerous thing. And it just keeps on getting faster and faster, everything around us. And when you look back and see the numbers in teenagers growing insanely high on, on mental health issues, that tells us something, right? So back around almost a year ago, I actually created a support group for mental health. And with Go Baby Go, I wanted it, I wanted, you know, just as I donated the small amount that I made with Hope to Deaf Academy, with Go Baby Go was for mental health issues just because it was something really close. I need, I think we need to, people need to feel safe talk about it and ask for help. And I think small steps are being done, like in companies, but there's still a lot of concern if I speak up, what will happen? Right? I don't want to go into my day job and talk about Microsoft, but Microsoft does have a really good mental health policy and support. And there's others as well. But I think we need more of that. With mental health concerns, I do have one more question regarding psychiatric issues. Mm -hmm. It's hard to know the true impact of social media. Mm -hmm. So I've been reading a book by Dr. Albert Brooks and Oprah Winfrey, and he, he talks about the impact of Twitter and Instagram really changing the landscape of our psychiatric health. Yeah. Like you had mentioned, Ricardo, it being a positive thing, but also a very damaging thing for the way that we handle our socialization. Yep. So here's my question for you, and kind of a tough one. How do you, as an artist, <laughs> use social media in a way that helps promote your work, but you don't try to fall into all the mental drainage that comes with it. How do you balance that? Excellent question. I'm still learning. And back in December, I, I paused for a while and I started following some people who did seem like experts on music marketing these days. There were two or three that I really liked. And one thing's for sure. I mean, musicians, especially indies, which don't have big labels around, social media is the way to go. And I'm sorry if you don't want to do it. Look, there's no other way. I don't know if, if you've seen the news, but Shoe Guys is a hot topic on TikTok. So TikTok, in part, is very responsible for what's happening in Shoe Guys being so big. And that's on the news, at least in Portugal. So when you see that on the national newspaper, it's like Shoe Guys and TikTok on the national Portuguese newspaper. Is this 2024 for sure? So definitely social media needs to be part of it. Now, what I see a lot is 
Spotify streams and social media likes as the end goal, and it shouldn't be. Because if that's your end goal, get ready for a lot of stress, right? a lot of money into ads and whatever. The end goal, to be honest, is to keep on growing, on connecting with people that like your music. So streams, likes, whatever, is a result of that, those connections, right? That's how I see things. And, you know, credit where credit was due. There's a guy called Damien Keys. He's one of the YouTube experts on the topic of music marketing. And he keeps on saying this. And when I heard that, it was, you know, that makes perfect sense. I don't want to be every single day, oh my God, you know, streams are up only 2% and nobody liked my post. Oh my God. I mean, that's not why we're here, right? So grow connections. For me, it's much more rewarding to talk with people who like my music and just start an email conversation or Instagram or whatever than just, oh, you know, I got 1,000 likes. Fine. Now what? Right. So still not the, the perfect answer. I'm still learning, but definitely, I mean, we need it. And I think it's a very good thing for indie artists. It's never been better. We just got to know how to use it. Yeah. And don't mess over it. That's a great point. Now, speaking of technology, what is Tune Rocket all about? <laughs> yeah. Well, when I was learning about the new ways of getting music out into 2023 at the time, I said, well, a lot of this can be automated, you know, planning releases and release dates, organizing your music. Because musicians, by nature, we are not super organized. I'm not. And Spotify streams are not the end goal. Connections are. But let's face it, if, if, if you do releases on a certain cadence, you can still release music whenever you want, the way you want it. But if if there's a certain cadence there, it can actually help algorithms in all kinds of social media and Spotify, whatever. So I thought, okay, I need, I need to build something that helped me, first of all, right? With, with organizing music, release timelines, social media. And if it helps me, maybe it helps others, right? So I'm, I'm starting, my, it's like my side project startup called Tune Rocket, to help me get the stress out of releasing music and try to connect with more people and reach more people. Since I know how to code, I know the technology, and I work on artificial intelligence, so let's get the three together and build something that might help people, actually. A lot of people are afraid of AI and where it's going, even though we've had AI for a very, very, very long time. Mm -hmm. What are your feelings about AI? I work with AI on a daily basis in all sorts of fashions, right? I can code things that use AI and I can use AI as a, as a, as a user of AI. The concerns are valid. I think there's, there's a strong ethical 
side to AI that we need to ensure that it, it's not forgotten. Because AI, if we think about it, and it was on the news the other day, it was, it was yesterday, someone in Portugal won an award, like a student, she won an award because she did this AI thing which detects a heart problem be before it happens, long before it happens. I mean, that's, that's really, you know, that's really good. But AI can also be used for wrong things, just like the other technology. The thing with AI is that it democratizes access to like, you can, you can, I mean, you're not going to be a designer, but you can create designs, right? AI generated music. You're not going to be a musician, but you can generate music, right? But AI in general just helps us do what we want to do faster. Is it going to replace us? No. Right? It lacks the creative things which are inside us. It, it lacks what makes us unique. But I think it's a helpful force in, in, in a lot of these cases, especially in health. I mean, we're going to see massive improvements in, in healthcare just because of that. I think OpenAI released something a few weeks ago on the three areas that were like skyrocketing with OpenAI usage. And if I'm not mistaken, there were programming, which makes sense, education, which is going to be a whole new challenge coming up, and healthcare. It will be very interesting to see how AI impacts music and the business. But there's one thing it's not going to replace, and that's people's love for vinyl and holding on to the record. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to wrap up this conversation with a little bit more lighthearted discussion on some albums that have had impact on you as a musician. Mm. Would you like to share some of those albums? Yeah. So first record I ever put spinning on the record player. So I was seven or six. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> You'll find around here by my, actually my mother. So this record belonged to her. Wow. 72, 82, 82. Yeah, this was the first record that then I start playing the Joy Division closer. I love I love this one. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about records that had a tremendous impact on me. This is one of them. Just because Why? it was the first one. It was the first one. So you know, once it's there, you just put the needle on and hear it again and again and again. And how happy can a six year old be when you're listening to this one? <laughs> so so this is Joy Division Closer. So this is an album that your mom had. Yeah, that's her name right, right, right here. Wow. 82. For June of 82. That's her son. Fast knowledge. <laughs> what, a, what a special mother. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. That's a juggernaut. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so what's your next one? That's a typical childhood uh, record, right? <laughs> then I mentioned around 14 I started playing guitar with Nowhere 
arrives, but there was one particular release from Rives, which up to this day is still my favorite EP by anyone. And that's today forever. I think this is perfection in four songs. <laughs> I was actually listening to this one today. And it's just incredible. They were like at the very peak of their form for me. And it is EP. And this was the one that really shaped a lot of my guitar sound in the beginning. It was this EP. It was just me trying to sound like Andy Bell. That's I still do, but uh, <laughs> it's with no one. I can imagine if you were ever to meet Andy, Mark, and the rest of the band, I would imagine you would share that appreciation with them. I've met them, yeah. I shared them, yeah. Oh, okay. I met them before I share, before I, I tell you the final record. I met Andy was the first one that I met when they played Primavera, when they reunited back in 2015, I think, 2016. And I went to Barcelona with my wife and we were walking close to the, close to the beach, just walking, you know. And I started looking and I'm like, oh, that's Andy Bell, just with, with his wife, just walking in the opposite direction. Andy Bell being the guitarist for Ride. Yeah. And I started, I seen, I, I, I was like a 12 year old hysterical kid. I started grabbing my wife and saying, that's Andy Bell. Oh my God, that's Andy Bell. Jesus Christ, that's Andy Bell. And so then I kind of tried to be calm and met him. And I did tell him that. Uh, he was super cool. And so was his, his wife. And then they played the hell of a show. <laughs> Magnificent. I then I met the rest of the gang when they played Lisbon, a small venue. I just wanted to grab something to eat. And they were having dinner at, in, the, in the small restaurant nearby. <laughs> Can I sit down? Yeah. And they're, they're all very cool people, actually. So the final one, maybe a surprise, but it had a tremendous impact as well. It got me into Alt Country. She's Ryan Adams. Oh, okay. Could have been Mojave 3. The first record was also quite an impact on me. But the thing with Ryan Adams, I remember one day just being around, you know, walking around Lisbon and I was listening to radio. And there was this tune on the radio called Oh My Sweet Carolina, but I didn't know at the time. And I was, I was like, Shazam was not a thing. And I was like, what was this? What did, did just play on the record? And then I, I actually called the radio station and found out it was Home My Sweet Carolina by Ryan Adams. And I still love the song. And Emmylou Harris, all of those things, I love it. So my wife gave me a lap steel recently. So I'm going to experiment with that a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear that. And I know you're going to do that well. Yeah, so that's another thing. I, you and I could talk records all day. Your your vast knowledge for music is so deep, it's so wide. I'm going to end you I'm going to end this conversation with this question. If you could spend 60 minutes with any living or non-living person, okay? Who would it be? 
if I could spend 60 minutes with a non-living person, it would be my grandma. Just because she passed away before meeting my my youngest one. I think she would love to do it. If it was the living person, I would love to spend 60 minutes with uh, Scarlett Johansson. And we could we could we could record some songs. And she seems I love the, the most of the movies she's on. And for some reason I always wanted to meet Scarlett Johansson. Not really sure why, but for some reason. Are you familiar with her work with the tribute album to Tom Waits? No. Oh, check it out. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it received very divisive reviews. Some people loved it. Some people told her, you know, just stick with acting, don't sing, whatever it is. But there's there is tons of shoegaze element to it because the gentleman that produced it, I believe, was Dave Citek, Citek from TV on the Radio. So they collaborated together, which would make sense. Okay. So she has some solo, at least one of the solo records she has. I've heard it, and I think she he, he plays in there as well. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. In uh, Pete Yorn, she's done some work with Pete yeah. Yorn. Okay, so how can people find your work? Spotify, Bandcamp, MoonCowboyMusic.com, X, TikTok. <laughs> more, you know, just whatever YouTube, whatever your platform. But go to MoonCowboyMusic.com and everything is there. And in a few-ish weeks, it should be under 1991 recordings on Bandcamp as well. That is so, such wonderful news. Ricardo Fial, this has been a pleasure. Conversation number four, I believe, for us. And mm-hmm. I'm always learning from you. And one of my mantras for this podcast is to entertain to educate and I feel like I get both of those qualities from you in our discussion. So thank you so much for being a supporter of obviously the arts. And also it's another thing I've noticed about you. You're not just a supporter for the arts, but you're a supporter for artists in general. You're I I, I get a sense that you really try to help strengthen a community for for artists as well. So I just wanted to bring that up. And Tune Rocket. So, what? Where can we find that? TuneRocket.co. Okay. Still working on the MVP, but I'll I'll make some noise figuratively <laughs> when it's when it's ready. But you can you can sign up to be to be notified when it's ready. I'm not spamming anyone or anything. <laughs> but uh, but I have to launch in stages. So if you want to sign up for early access, just go there. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you and best of 2024 for you and all your grand experiences coming up and keep stepping out of your comfort zone. And I'm going to go back to your last name. I love how loyal you are (laughs) as a person. It definitely shows. So thank you. Thank you, William. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure as always. And, uh, I love doing this with you. So for me, we can go to conversation 40. And- <laughs>